Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of EM Insider with me, your host, Crystal Higgins. In this episode, I'm joined by Raphael Kassin, where we discuss the latest moves by the Fed, um, along with what would make him put his money back into China. We started off the episode by discussing the merits of judging EM markets based on their economies versus the indices alone. I look at the indices for the simple reason that they offer me a, a good range of, you know, a very pretty wide range of alternatives uh, where I can consider investing. Uh, I have never been an index hugger, if that's the right term. Uh, I have always selected those countries within the index that I have found to offer me positive uh, expected returns. Uh, but but also within a context of of stable, um, trustworthy economies, right? Fundamentals. So so when when a fund manager, if he's a fund manager, says uh, that he's looking at the economies, he is telling me that he's a very top down type of manager, uh, and that he probably doesn't consider. Well, I'm assuming, okay, uh, doesn't consider bond prices. So, so to put to to compare, for example, to the way I manage money, I usually will look at the fundamentals in the country. So, in a way, this guy is is a mirror image of me, of part of my process, right? Where I usually look at the fundamentals of every single country, uh, and I use that as a starting point in order to decide if I'm going to invest in them. Uh, but the second level is to figure out if amongst those countries that I have found to be fundamentally stable or moving forward, uh, there are countries that have bonds that are attractively priced, right? So my process goes top down, bottom up, and then I have to decide on my timing for to invest. I mean, my process, in fact, has I've 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 managed money like this for over twenty years, and and when I looked at it, I tried to figure out the simplest way of managing money, and and this is what I came up with. And I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people in the markets were using a similar concept. Can you? That's interesting. Can you can you give me a, a recent example of maybe like a big bet that you've made, and get, you know name the give an example of the country. Um, and you're kind of just go through the what top and then bottom down approach you used and how you manage the timing. How do you gauge when the timing's right? Well, yeah, this is, it would be a little bit complex because I haven't actually invested in anything recently. Um, but I can give you an idea, for example, you know, I mean, I did buy, let's say I bought some Ecuador recently, right? I already, already uh, well, I had an Ecuadorian position, uh, a small position, but but it was a decent one. Uh, and then when bond prices dropped about uh, 30 points, I bought more, right? Um, I, I haven't actually bought anything since markets have gone down because I haven't, you know, I, I'll now explain that to you in a second. Uh, but okay, from a fundamental point of view, I have considered Ecuador to be in good shape, 
their numbers are are good uh, fundamentally, you know, macro-wise. Um, they have what I consider to be a friendly government. Uh, Lasso is an, it was a banker. Uh, he's, I believe, going to drive things as we in financial markets would do, uh, as we would find uh, necessary, right? So, so my view on Ecuador was that it was a, an airplane, a good airplane being driven by a good pilot. Uh, there were some strikes. Ah, by the way, they have oil, right? They export oil. That helps. Uh, oil prices, I believe, are going to stay at a decent level for a while. Uh, and when I say that, I mean, it, anything above, above 60 or 70 is, re- is decent. Um, there might, there are, you know, it, I mean, Brent is at 90 these days, but uh, there was a, there were a couple of days that when it was above 130, right? This so are you year. Talking, what, uh, what stage of the process are we talking now? Just to be clear. So top, is this the... Top down. Is this Total, top down. Totally top down. I mean, at, from the top down a perspective, I want to know if a country has good numbers, macroeconomic numbers, uh, so that it can afford to repay me, right, as a debt holder. And I want to make sure that I have a president who is uh, going to be willing to pay me, right? So it's the ability to pay back and the willingness to pay back. Um, So from a top-down perspective, I like Ecuador. Bond prices in Ecuador recently uh, hit 21% in yields, right? Um, and and that is unbelievable. I mean, it's it's not even an issue of rating. I, I mean, let's not talk about rating, right? Uh, but from a bottom-up point of view, 21% for a country that has an IMF program, which is part, and that would be obviously top-down, uh, is and doesn't have any large maturities coming up, Basically, it's like you telling me, well, you know, if you went to the markets, you'd have to to borrow money at 21%, even though you don't have any maturities for a while, you're all in good shape. You know, it's it's the airplane that is fully loaded with, with fuel, uh, with a good pilot, a good fuselage, and and doesn't have to make any pit stops for the next year or so. So it doesn't have any problems. It won't run out of fuel. Uh, so from the, the bottom-up portion of it is, well, bond prices at 21%, uh, yield is, are really attractive, right? When you consider the conditions that we're looking at from the top down also. So these two merge together, and, and then Ecuador becomes an interesting play. So emerging market debt is, is actually credit risk, right? Uh, if, you, if you wanted to look at the riskless portion of the interest rate world uh, in dollars, you'd look at U.S. treasuries because these are what's considered in dollars to be riskless. Uh, and so you'd look at U.S. treasury bonds. Uh, I may have scrambled my, my, my words a little bit, but basically... What, we, the, the, what we're looking for when we're looking at emerging markets debt is, is how emerging markets debt compares to U.S. treasuries, because U.S. treasuries are the bottom in terms of yield for dollar borrowing. Uh, it's the riskless credit. It's, you know, it's, it's bonds that you don't expect uh, a risk in getting repaid 
right? Um, so the first thing that I'm looking at when I come in the morning is where U.S. Treasury bonds, U.S. Treasuries are trading, U.S. government bonds. Along the curve, basically what I want to know is, is the 10-year rate trading at 355, for example, as it was this morning when I came in? Uh, and has it moved uh, to a higher yield, like 369, which is where it is now? So obviously, they've been going down. Um, then I also am worried about what's happening in terms of risk reward in the market, right? Um, which we call basically if the market is risk on or risk off. So for for a market like today, I mean, we're definitely risk off. And I mean, I give you an obvious example. The stock market is crashing in the States. Um, and when I say crashing, I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, in the FT journalistic sense. Sure. But, but I mean, we have the S&P down by about three quarters of a percent, which is, is not meaningless. Um, so that's what we're looking at. We're trying to understand when we're looking at these things, uh, at these emerging market bonds, uh, understand if the world that we're living in and that you know these bonds should be part of and should be trading in, um, are trading in an environment where that is positive or negative for bonds and or positive or negative for risk taking. Right. So at the end of the day, what you want to know is, you know, do you have a uh, do you have a country that's interesting? Does that country have attractively priced bonds? And lastly, you have to determine whether the environment is good to buy. So because you could have all the elements coming up to the right point. I mean, your fundamentalist guy uh, could fall flat on his face if uh, if he chose the right country to invest in and the market collapsed not because of what was happening in that country, but for because of contagion. And that bond collapsed. The bonds of that country collapsed. Sure. So, so the, 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 the key thing here is, and this is very difficult to explain to people who are very um, ideological, right? You come out of school and, if, and you, you know, you believe in, in, in everything that people tell you, you know, you get, that it's written in books. Um, I mean, even capital asset pricing model, you could argue that doesn't work all the time, even if you have all the conditions, because, yeah, that is nice theory. But when it comes to real markets, people are trading, they have different expectations. Can I pick you up on one thing you were saying about, you know, the US dollar being, you know, like, um, that's riskless, risk that's risk free, right? Right. Um, you know, some people are kind of starting to say things like, are we in the next few years headed for a post-dollar world? And in that scenario, how does that affect EM debt portfolios and, I, and, I, and, and how you work? I used to have a competitor who, who is probably the only one in the market who believed that for years. Uh, we're believed, headed that way. No, no, no. Who believed that the euro was the the currency or, you know the, the currency of bonds that he should be buying mm -hmm. uh it helped that he was in switzerland uh mm -hmm. and his airplane never took off right and now i'll tell you why because he chose to buy bonds denominating in euros uh, there were very few real money investors and real capital coming from europe um you know europe is i, I 
you know, I love I love European investors. They are great to talk to. They understand what they're doing. Um, but there isn't the Europe just hasn't been able to have a market, a capital market properly developed in the risk space. Right. So what do I mean by that? And why, 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 what do you mean by that? And why do you think that is? And are well, there any circumstances I, where that could change? Okay. Yeah. Good point. Uh, why is it that it is that way? Uh, I think it's because most of the banks, the big banks uh, who are fairly well managed are not European. Uh, they're American, uh, maybe English. Uh, and, and I think that they have a certain approach to, risk taking meaning they they do take risk they know how to take risk and at the end of the day they make markets in dollar bonds okay um so if we look at the em space the universe of bonds available for investment um at least 95 percent, if not 99 are denominated in dollars i mean you'd have to be You'd have to to look like a, you know you're looking for a needle in a haystack to find find bonds in euros, in emerging markets, right? All of these countries go to the euro markets and they borrow in dollars, and the banks that trade this stuff trade in dollars. Um, why is it that way? I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that that the dollar. It's a very liquid currency. It's a currency that you trust. Now, this is really interesting. Uh, I've heard this argument from a couple guys. I mean, there's a guy in Credit Suisse who has been uh, advocating the end of the dollar world. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's very pleasant uh, and interesting, uh, intellectually interesting uh, calls that, that he comes up with. But the reality is I ask myself, where do, I, where do I save my money? Am I putting my money in dollars? Or, okay, you could say in pounds, right? But I guess the sterling these days isn't looking very, very stable. But sure. that might change. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, would you put your money in rubles? Would you put your money in China? And, and for God's sake, I mean, you'd have to be out of your mind to believe that the yuan or RMB, you know, whichever way you want to call it, is going to be a currency which is going to have lots of bonds for you to trade in and where you'd like to save, you know, you put to put your life savings. Because at the end of the day, I would like to put my life savings in a currency where I can have immediate access, where I'm not going to deal with some unexpected and, and the horrible um, movements, right? So it could be that all of a sudden you put your money in Czar in South Africa, for example. Mm -hmm. And and the thing goes from 15 to 25, and all of a sudden you want to buy a house, and oops, you know your money is worthless. Let's make it a little bit more uh, tastier. You know, let's say you put your money in China, and they block access to, uh, by foreigners to their accounts, right? So I want to be in a in the freest in a currency of the freest capital market in the world, the most liquid. You know the the most regulated, uh, but still free. What are the most What are the most liquid and regulated EM markets at the minute in your in your in your view? EM markets. Wow, that's an interesting point. Uh, interesting question. You mean for currencies, right? Yeah. Uh, 
Well, I mean, you could say that the some of the Eastern European countries that have adopted the euro uh, are quite quite good. Uh, but again, which, you know, which, which ones would you be referring to there? Well, look, I, 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 not everybody has joined the euro, right? Uh, but but look, let's let's forget the euro because I I wouldn't put my money in the euro. So that's a, let's forget about you know this concept. Uh, but let's let's do a, a quick trip, right? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't put your money in Argentina in pesos because you probably wouldn't be able to get the money out. Sure. In Brazil, in Brazil, there are taxes to bring the money in. Uh, and there are other taxes that make it a complex issue. Um, plus, there is volatility in the currency, and you, you, you're not quite sure if you want to be in there uh, at all times, right? Um, other than Brazil and Argentina and America, which are big countries, I mean, Colombia, I, I cannot see myself putting money in Colombian pesos, though I have to be honest, I think you'd have to have an account to do that. Uh, I'm not sure how free they are. Mexico might be a closer uh, comparison. Uh, I don't, you know, I, again, I wouldn't put my money in Mexican pesos either uh, for my life savings, right? Unless I, I was Mexican and I'm not. Uh, and, and so, okay, in Africa, I mean, you, you probably wouldn't want to do that. Um, in Asia, you could argue, okay, maybe you could you put your money in Singapore. Right. I mean, it's relatively stable. It's 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 a world financial center. Uh, but then, you know, as you probably heard, I mean, I, I have come up with almost nothing. I mean, I can't wake up in the morning one day and think of a currency that I like to have. I mean, I I could have I could have dollars any time of the day, you know, in my sleep. Um, I could have pounds any time of the day, even though they're they're dropping. Uh, because I could live and I could see myself comfortably being able to access this cash in the UK any time of the day. Would I put my money in euros? Never. Uh, because I just cannot understand how Europe functions. Uh, I find that, I mean, you, you're watching the euro these days. You have Hungary in Europe, you know, which is part of the EU, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And, and I, I just cannot understand how Europe is going to be able to continue functioning uh, in the next 20 or so years uh, with so many countries in fighting. And, you know, you, you've seen the Hungarians and the trouble they brought in uh, because they are uh, Russian friendly. Sure. Um, and, and so they can, they can come up with their veto and mess everything up. Uh, and even if they just if they don't mess everything up, they can delay things. Um, so so I think the European model, unfortunately, even though it's a great continent, it's a lovely place to travel. And there are there are lots of really smart investors there. Uh, I think that from an investment perspective, you know, from a currency perspective, it's it, it doesn't make sense for me. M- moving, I suppose, to 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 the to the EM debt and more more and more broadly and, and and a bit wider where at the minute do you think investors should be looking what what's 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 of interest to you right now well these are very interesting times you know i was just at the at a jp morgan conference uh and where uh in canary wharf okay. uh they, oh, yeah, they just yeah they you know i i 
I came to the conference and, and, you know, they always have fantastic conferences and, and it's really interesting that the investor base these days looks a lot like deer, uh, uh, looking at headlights. Oh, really? Was that, yeah. What was the, what was, what was the atmosphere there like uh, in amongst your peers? Well, I wasn't there much, you know, I went to a couple of events, a couple of the moments, uh, of the presentations. And but but it was enough to sense that the big elephant in the room is the Fed for everyone, right? right. So you know you could talk about fundamentals in every emerging market country uh, and come out super happy, like as you said, you know this chap in uh, in Holland. Um, but the reality is that whatever he thinks. And to quote, to use a quote, you know, doesn't amount to a hill of beans when you compare it to what's happening in the U.S. Treasury market, because we've had a first, first. I mean, go back, try to go back to February, uh, before the Russians bombed uh, Ukraine, and and remember that there was this debate about inflation in the states being transitory or not, right, and. Uh, you could potentially argue that at some point inflation could go down or not. So I'm not going to take sides on the transitory point, but I think that the Fed was doing the right thing. And if the Fed didn't do the right thing for a little bit longer, if there was inflation, the Fed would have come in and would have hiked as necessary. You know, I don't think the Fed would have just let it go. Uh, but once we've had the war, uh, and we've really come out of COVID, right? Uh, mm-hmm. We've had a double shock. So we've had a shock from the supply side, which took oil up. Um, and then we've had a shock uh, from people coming back to work. So the, on the demand side, uh, mm-hmm. and prices have gone up as a result. The initial reaction was within... Uh, when prices have gone up, what are you referring to there? Sorry? When you say prices have gone up, sorry. Just Infl- inflation, inflation, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Um, so, so, we, so initially we saw fuel prices going up and as a result, you know, there was inflation. Uh, and most recently with the, with the last uh, CPI, we, we've seen that, that that's, the inflation is, is becoming a, you know, it's, it's hitting secondary levels. Uh, if, if that's the right term. Uh, and what I mean by that is that it's not just oil. I mean, actually oil has gone down, right? So uh, when you consider food and energy, well, energy and uh, some, to some extent food, we've seen a stabilization of prices and even a drop in prices. Um, but we're seeing secondary effects, especially in housing in the States uh, where prices are going up. And what, what's happening is I think the Fed has lost control uh, or the ability to hold inflation down. The order of the day is to sort inflation out. Sure. And, and the latest economic numbers do show two things. They show that there's stubborn inflation at the secondary level, not just uh, oil prices. Uh, but also they show that economic growth hasn't yet started to topple, right? So for inflation to to be contained and and constrained, uh, 
we need some economic pain because you know this, right? Nobody, you get your bonus, let's say, or you get your salary uh, and you're not going to go out and buy something at the, you know, at the top. top oh, let's, let's put it a simple way. You're not going to buy a house in Chelsea uh, for 4 million pounds. If you think that things are going to go down, the economy will, will suffer and you're going to be able to buy this house at 3 million, right? And the seller, and, and I'm just using numbers, you know, I'm not saying I'm doing that. Um, but, but the seller is thinking the same way. You know, he sees that he's not going to get so many people uh, earning, uh, earning, earning salaries, earning bonuses. So these people are likely not going to be able to buy houses as easily for 4 million. So he will drop his price to three and three quarters, maybe three and a half. And if interest rates go up, it will be more difficult for the non-cash buyer, right? The, the buyer who goes to the bank to borrow, uh, to get money, to borrow money at an attractive rate. Uh, higher rates means higher payments. So that's, that's the way the Fed, the, Euro, the, the European Central Bank, and the Bank of England will deal with this with this situation. So it, they need to nip it in the bud and then hopefully they're going to, well, we, we'll have a little bit of recession. That's, that's natural. Uh, you probably, I don't know if you remember this conversation we had around the time of the pandemic uh, when everybody was getting, getting money for free from the government. And I tried to buy a, a bike I mm -hmm. went to the shop and he told me, look, uh, you have to wait for at least four months uh, unless you're willing to take one of the only three bikes that I can sell you. Now, this is a big shop in South London. And, mm -hmm. I do and remember it, this. Yeah, sorry, go on. Right. Well, these days cannot continue. Uh, if everybody gets a huge payoff and can go out there and buy a 4,000 pound bike, you know, it's, uh, we, we are living in a funny world. I think the Fed will reach a point at which it will see the economic numbers. There will be some weakness. Uh, inflation will come down to a more acceptable level. Uh, and then that will be the sweet spot. Because once you've seen the top of the curve and the rest is all going down, you, you, you can only profit, as a fixed income investor, you will only profit. Right? Because interest rates will go down and you profit in, in fixed income when interest rates go down. And that's pretty much the whole investment universe these days, even investment grade, uh, hinges upon that. So what does that mean? It means that we are seeing a little bit of weakness today in emerging debt. We have seen a lot of that over the year. Um, some countries have had a little bit more difficulty in managing their finances because of that, because they have bonds maturing and they might need to refinance and it may be difficult. And the countries that don't have difficulty and have reserves are using those and are able to borrow. And the ones that are having trouble, for example, Ghana yesterday came out, their local interest rates had crossed 20%. 20? And things were getting, yeah, wow. things were getting out of hand. I think probably wow. around 23. I, I, I don't do local there. Sure. Uh, but but the, the issue in Ghana was that their local rates were just 
out of control. They don't have any significant maturities, at least for a year uh, or roughly that. Um, and they, but they realized that, that things were getting out of control. And, and it's an interesting setup because they have 50% in hard currency debt, 50% in local currency debt, but about 80% of their cost uh, to, to repay or to finance the debt is in local currency. So with local interest rates going to, to the, through the roof, obviously they needed to do something. Luckily, they, they were smart enough and they went to the IMF and, and they're working on getting a program. John, before I let you go, you mentioned something interesting that you know we're in a self-correcting stage at the minute. And could you just, just, just round up, what, like, what are the key features of this self-correcting phase and, and what are the next key sort of do you see as you know milestones you know economically in in em during this self-correcting phase well okay i think em countries that don't have to finance themselves are going to continue to use their own reserves and imf help in order to to go through the next let's say year without having to come to to borrowing markets, right? Uh, you don't want to borrow at 21% if you're Ecuador or Ghana, right? Uh, so you make a deal with the IMF, you hold off, you use some reserve, reserves, uh, you let your currency go. Uh, I mean, the dollar is getting stronger anyway, so you just let that go so that you can export more and you can earn more dollars. Uh, so, so once you're able to survive this, I mean, so, so, okay, so that, let's say you, you are able to manage this for, for the next year and survive the storm, uh, which is how I would compare it. Um, you then will have at the same time, the Fed being able to hold inflation down. Maybe there will be some t sort of recession in the States, but I mean, I, I think that on the employment side, uh, the U.S. is in good shape. So I think that it will have to come from, from the property side and, and, and people will just have to spend less. Uh, but I think that that will, you know, the, the, what I mean by self-correcting, I think interest rates will be hiked. Uh, the economies will slow down. Inflation will slow down. And then we'll go back to normal because then obviously, you know, it's lower interest rates, stable contained inflation. And then everybody's happy, right? And then the dollar drops, uh, of course, because mm -hmm. the dollar is no more that safe haven. Going back to that first comment that you made um, on China, right? Sure. And in fact, it wasn't China, I think. I think what you mentioned was that there would be uh, some gravitational uh, move towards alternate, alternate uh, res uh, uh, yeah. currencies. Yes. Um, we, we recently uh, cut down our Chinese exposure, right? In, in, we had some local uh, Chinese uh, debt. Uh, we decided to cut it down. And luckily, we did it you know, far before. It was at 7. I think it was at 6.7, uh, which wasn't that lovely. But it was better than where the market had taken us overall. So it was, it was okay while we had it. Um, but, but we decided to get out of it because we started to worry about what's going to happen in this uh, big event that they're going to have, the, you know, the, the big uh, political uh, meeting. 
and we started to worry about that. This is within our EM that team. Okay, this is really important. Uh, I don't know what, how other parts of the company have looked at this, but we started to worry about that. And I remember having been in Chengdu, uh, and there was a day, and this is I think after we cut the exposure. Uh, when when I I read the news that there was a, a COVID outbreak in Chengdu. And I asked myself a question, how can it be that after everything that has gone on, all of the lockdowns, uh, a city like Chengdu can find itself in lockdown after most of the world has gone back to business, right? And, and for the, the least likely reason I'd like to, I'd like to see, which is COVID. And so I thought, well, you know, it's good that we're out. Uh, we don't know what dynamics are playing uh, in China. We don't know what will happen with conference. So we thought that it would probably be better uh, to get out. Uh, so, so we're out of that. I mean, and, and that ties along with the complicity that uh, she has, has had with Putin. Uh, Though he has, in theory, or supposedly, according to Putin, come out and, and said he's not totally uh, on Russia's side, uh, he hasn't just turned around and told Putin to stand down, right? which is what I, I think he should do. Uh, so we thought, well, that's, it's better to, to, to wait and see uh, before we consider getting in. We've seen a lot of government intervention in financial markets, which we don't like. I mean, we, we how, like free markets. How seismic would that be if Xi Jinping told Putin explicitly or otherwise to stand down? Ah, that would, that would be... Actually, I think that that would be fantastic for him. He would, he would go down in history as, as the guy who brought China to the podium. You know, this is the F1 podium uh, with two players. I mean, he would really... He would change the world. I mean, because all of a sudden the Russians would be out of Ukraine. Everybody would be happy. We would go back to risk-taking appetite. People would, you know, the stock market would fly. Uh, I'm not sure if that would be good for inflation, but it might. It, it might be good for China because uh, the U.S. would deal with China uh, differently on a trade level. So, so for the Chinese to have partnered with Putin actually has been a, a slowdown. Uh, and, and yeah, if, if uh, she had come in and told Putin to just you know, stand down and go back to his corner, uh, he would be seen globally. I mean, he would, you know, people are talking about his uh, being able to get reelected, right? Uh, mm -hmm. and, and becoming maybe chairman for life. Uh, well, that would justify that, right? So, so, I mean, we have, to, we have to wonder why that hasn't happened. Uh, but, okay, it's, it's a little bit too late in the game. Sure. Uh, but if you ask me, you know, what, what would make me um, trust and, and, and go all in into China, uh, that, that would be it. It would be a, a wow. snub to Putin. Uh, but it would be an aggressive snub. Right, Falcassen, uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you as always, and until next time.